0: Good morning. If you will please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And while you are standing, turn into your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 20. We'll be starting in verse 1, reading through verse 7. 2 Kings chapter 20, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 7. And you can find it on a pew Bible on page two hundred. And 26, 2 Kings chapter 20, starting in verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened, before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return, and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, The God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days fifteen years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we just come before you, humbly come before you, approach you, thanking you, Lord, for your Son, as we sang about, that he is mighty to save the author of salvation, Lord, that, that as those individuals that have trusted in his finished work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, that we can face death with confidence, Lord. Father, I just pray that you would just speak to each one here today, Lord. Father, I don't know their hearts, Lord, but you do. And I just ask that you use Pastor Bruce, Lord, to bring Your Word, Father. I think of the graduates. I think of those that just uh, graduate from high school, Lord, and, and the battles and the temptations that they will face, Lord. I pray that they seek You, Lord. I pray that they seek Your wisdom, that they spend time in Your Word, Father. I thank You for those that just graduated from college, Lord, and just uh, what a battle that is and tough, Lord. I thank You for their perseverance. Just be with us today. And may you be honored and praised with our worship. In your name I pray. Amen.
1: Well, this morning we want to conclude the series that we've been in for the last five weeks, a series on life after death that we've been calling Final Questions. And we want to conclude by answering the question, how do I face death? Three buddies were discussing death and one of them asked, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? The first guy responded, I'd like them to say he was a great humanitarian who, who cared about his community. The next friend replied, oh, I'd like them to say he was a great husband and father who was an example for many to follow. And they all nodded in agreement and then looked to the third buddy who'd been silent and with what... Without hesitation, he concluded, well, I'd like them to say, look, he's moving. (laughs) Some of you will get that a few minutes later, but if we're honest with ourselves, I would venture to say that most of us here, we don't like to think about death, we really don't like to talk about death, and we especially don't like to hear about death, including our own. We don't even like to say that someone has died, and, and so instead we use phrases like, oh, he passed away, or, or departed, or he's no longer with us, or she passed on, and, and death is it's just this ugly kind of word in our, in our life, in our, and so in our vocabulary, and yet death is something that we all face sooner or later. I'm sure most of us here are planning to live past this week, I'm sure some of us, Uh, are planning to enjoy doing something this summer. And I'm sure most of you are planning to live at least another year, and I bet some are planning to live another 10, 20, or 30 years. After all, I bet there's none of us here that really think about that we'll die tonight or die tomorrow. But how can you be so sure? The drunk driver, the freak accident, the the sudden heart attack, even the stray bullet. Who knows what will happen? Any one of us here this morning could die at any moment. And so as we think about facing death, and in particular our own death, let me ask you another question here. What is your greatest fear when it comes to facing death? One survey reveals that at the, of the top ten human fears, death ranks number two behind failure. It goes on to explain in the same survey that the fear of death is not number one because even though it is the main reason our instincts tell us to act the way we do, it is a well-known truth that in the end we will all kick the bucket. That doesn't mean we have death as our, most, as our worst everyday worry because we avoid the thought of it as a near future occurrence in our lives. The fear of death is tightly tied to the fear of the unknown. We don't know for sure what will happen to us when we leave this world. And so we fear facing death. Someone has observed that much of human fear in the final analysis is this fear of death. Some fear flying and it's not because there is this intrinsic fear of of the experience of flying itself. Rather, it's because we wonder if the plane will stop flying before it reaches its destination. We dread going under the knife because we know we might not wake up, at least in this world. In fact, death, it's interesting, in the Bible, is biblically described as a, quote, enemy by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, in the Greek, the term enemy is related to the word hate in our English language. In other words, death is a hated thing because of what it does to us, because of what it does to our loved ones. Bildad, one of Job's friends from the Old Testament, described death as the king of terrors. And King David once said that the terrors of death had fallen upon him. So how do we face death? And do so with confidence and not fear. Well, there's a king here in the Old Testament who gives us some insight into this. He gives us some clues on how to face our death with confidence rather than fear. And we see these lessons when King Hezekiah faced his own looming death. And it's out of this passage here in 2 Kings chapter 20 that I want to surface for us this morning Three simple truths, three principles for us, three lessons, if you will. And the first lesson is this. Remember that life is short and death is certain. Remember that life is short and death is certain. There are not many things in this life that you can count on. But we can be sure of these two things. Life is short and death is certain. The Bible reminds us that life is short in James chapter 4, verse 14. When James asks, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while, and then poof, it vanishes away. That is our life. It is short. Our life is short in comparison to the next life in eternity. And the Bible then goes on, and it reminds us that our life is is not here for a long time, it's here for a short time, and that's why death is certain. In Hebrews 9, 27, it says, And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. As C.S. Lewis observed, the statistics on death are impressive. So far, one out of one person dies. Now notice King Hezekiah's appointment with death here. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 20. And what we see here is King Hezekiah was the king of Judah for 29 years. And he was this great ruler who sought to faithfully follow God. And as a result, Judah prospered under King Hezekiah's reign. In fact, you go back a couple of chapters to chapter 18 in verse 5 and it says this about King Hezekiah, that he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. In other words, what we are being told here about this particular king of Judah is that he's one of the godliest kings who's ever lived. This isn't a pagan king, this isn't a rebellious king, this is a king who has tried to follow after God, who has tried to lead. Judah, God's people, to follow after God. But then something happens in the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign that literally turned his world upside down. If you can imagine, the prophet Isaiah comes to Hezekiah's palace and he brings him a message of death. Notice what it says in chapter 20, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. In fact, later down in the chapter, verse 7 tells us that he was infected, his sickness, he was infected with some kind of boil. And this was causing him to be near death. It goes on in verse 1. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, thus says the Lord. And so in other words, Isaiah is speaking On behalf of God, Isaiah is a prophet of God, and he brings him this message of death. Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Now I want you to notice just a few things about Isaiah's message of death here to King Hezekiah. First of all, the message was very emphatic. Isaiah tells King Hezekiah, hey, you're going to die. In the Hebrew, it literally means, for thou art dead. Or as we would say, you're a dead man walking. That's how emphatic this message was. The message was also absolute. This was a message from God. Through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says, thus says the Lord. And then the message was obviously, it was rather severe. There are no words of hope. There are no words of comfort. In Isaiah's message, Isaiah doesn't sugarcoat the truth. He just gives King Hezekiah the cold, hard facts about his looming appointment with death. But this message, for us, has a clear warning. And the warning is this, it's simple. We all understand it, but we tend to avoid it. And that is, life is short and death is certain. In some ways, God was rather gracious to King Hezekiah. And you say, how's that? It's a message of death. How is God gracious in that? Well, God gave him a warning about his appointment with death, about his appointed time of death. He knew when he was going to die. Here in the very near future. None of us are given this kind of heads-up warning. We never know when we might face our own death. All we can be sure of is two things, that our lives are short and death is certain. Unlike King Hezekiah, the problem with death is that it's almost always unexpected. Death has a way of ambushing us, even when you know your time is drawing near. This is why King Solomon reminds us in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2, better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. In other words, it's better to go to a funeral and face this reality than it is to go to a house of feasting and party like there's no tomorrow. One way to take the reality of death to heart here is to simply imagine being in King Hezekiah's shoes here for a moment. Think about this. He's the king of Judah. He's only at this time in his life 39 years old with his whole life ahead of him. And God tells him he's going to die. Let me tell you, if I'm Hezekiah, this is the last thing on my mind at 39 years of age. But death doesn't run on our timetable, it runs on God's. Our life is in God's hands. And I think about this because I'm 50 years old now. In fact, it's just even preparing for this message, I sat in my office wondering, well, how would I respond if I was sent a message like this? How would I respond Wondering how I would face my own death if I knew I was going to die tonight, tomorrow, or this week. What would be different? Death could be a reality for all of us at any time. And the question is, how will you face death? Will you face death as your friend or will you face death as a foe? You may not admit that you're afraid to die. Instead, you may concur with what Woody Allen said. It's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Unfortunately, we don't have a choice. No one escapes death, although some of us try. And so will death. When it comes, will you face it as a friend or your foe? Sarah Winchester's husband, the same man who we know the rifles by, Winchester Rifles, Sarah Winchester's husband had acquired a fortune by manufacturing and selling his rifles. And after he died of influenza back in 1918, she moved to San Jose, California. And because of her grief and her longtime interest in spiritism, Sarah sought out a medium to contact her dead husband. And the medium told her, as long as you keep building your home, you never face death. Sir believed the spiritists. so she bought an unfinished 17-room mansion and started to expand it. The project continued and she, until she died at the age of 85. It cost $5 million at a time when workmen earned 50 cents a day. The mansion had 150 rooms, 13 bathrooms, 2,000 doors, 47 fireplaces, and 10,000 windows. And Mrs. Winchester left enough materials So that they could have continued building for another 80 years Today that house stands As more than just a tourist attraction that you can go see It is a silent witness to the fear of death That holds millions of people in bondage But when we know for sure that heaven is our home We can face death as our friend Now Because life is short and death is certain, the question we must answer is, will you face death as your friend or will it be your foe? And because we never know when our appointment with death will be, it's vital that we come to the second lesson here, that we embrace the second lesson. And that is prepare for your final destination now before it's too late. Listen, death will either be your friend or your foe, depending on how you prepare for your final destination now. Notice Isaiah's message to King Hezekiah in verse 1. Isaiah comes to him and he says this, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order. Why? For you shall die and not live. In other words, Isaiah warns King Hezekiah to set his house in order, Because he's going to die. The idea is to make sure that you have prepared your house as well as your life for what is inevitably going to happen. In other words, you're going to die. So get ready for it. Prepare for it. Take care of everything and anything that you need to take care of and do it now, not later. Now let me ask a question. What if God said you were going to die tonight? What if God came to you through, like someone, prophet Isaiah or somebody, and he said to you, you're going to die tonight, what would you need to do to set your house in order? To set your life in order? We may not die tonight, but we're all going to die sooner or later. And the question is, are you prepared? Are you prepared to die? Are you prepared for your final destination? Listen, many people try to prepare themselves and their family financially and even emotionally for when they die. And these are good things to do. It's not wrong to prepare yourself for your death. Prepare your family for it. And to prepare financially and even emotionally. Preparation is good stewardship. Back in 2005, our church took a MAC campaign to Tanzania, and uh, my wife and I both went, and because that is a rather, uh, well, it's a long, long air flight to Tanzania, uh, there in Africa, and uh, a lot of things can happen, and so we took the time to go see a lawyer, and we actually prepared a will of guardianship for our boys in case something tragic would have happened to my wife and I. That was a good thing to do. And, uh, you know, if, we, if something would have happened, we would have pawned them off on the one of you people. <laughs> no, just kidding. My best friend down in Houston, Texas was the first on the list. <laughs> and, uh, and so you, you make these preparations. Some people, they even, uh, you know, uh, uh, burial preparations. They buy a plot ahead of time and so when you die your family doesn't have to worry about that at the moment of death those are all worthy things to do good stewardship things to do but as important as those preparations are the most important preparation that we can make is spiritually not just financially not emotionally but spiritually are you spiritually prepared to die do you know for sure heaven is your final destination There's a cemetery in Indiana that has an old tombstone bearing this epitaph. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. And then someone read those words and scratched this reply underneath. To follow you, I am not content until I know which way you went. Now, When it comes for preparing for our final destination and being prepared, spiritually speaking, there are four basic truths that we need to understand, four basic truths that we need to grapple with and embrace, and I want to share those with you here. The first truth is about God's love. God loves you and created you to know Him personally and spend eternity with Him. John 3.16 tells us that God loves you, and He offers you eternal life, and He offers it to anyone who will believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. It says, For God's so love of the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life with God the Father. John 17, 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so the very first step to preparation for our final destination in heaven is to realize that God really does love you. He loves you so much that He gave His Son to die for your sins. He wants you to know Him, and He wants you to spend eternity with Him in heaven. But that leads us to a second truth, and that is our condition, our problem. People are sinful. That includes every one of us here this morning. And our sinfulness separates us from God, and it causes us to face death and judgment. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that simply means that no one here is perfect. Now, most of us understand that. Most of us don't even argue with that. And no one is perfect because all of us have sinned. Romans 3, 6.23, though, tells us the consequences of our sin. When it says, for the wages of sin is death. And that is speaking physical death as well as spiritual death, which is separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have God's love. He loves us and He desires to know us. He wants us to know Him, and He wants us to spend eternity with Him. But we have a problem, and it's our sin that separates us from God. But God loves us so much, He provides a remedy, which brings us to the third truth. God's remedy. Jesus died in our place, and He rose again to be our Savior, providing forgiveness for our sins. God's remedy for our sin is described in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, In other words, by his death on the cross, get this, Jesus Christ took your place. He died the death that you should have died, and he paid the penalty for your sins. Now this is phenomenal news. In fact, it's called good news. This means our sins, no matter how many or how bad, can be forgiven. And we can have new life in Jesus Christ. But we must respond, which brings us to the fourth truth, our response. And our response is this, is to receive Jesus by faith as our Savior and Lord. You say, what does this mean? It simply means our salvation depends on trusting Jesus Christ and Christ alone. It's more than just believing facts about Jesus To trust in Christ means to rely completely upon Him for your forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Pastor and author Tim Keller offers this explanation of what it means to trust in Christ. He says, Faith is transferring your trust from your own efforts to the efforts of Christ. You are relying on other things to make you acceptable, but now you consciously begin relying on what Jesus did for your acceptance with God. All you need is nothing, he says. If you think God owes me something for all of my efforts, you are still on the outside looking in. I love his sentence there. All you need is what? Nothing. In other words, all you bring to the table of your salvation is nothing. There's nothing you can do because Christ has already done it all. What Keller means is as long as you think you are contributing something to your own salvation, you can't be saved. But when you stop trying and start trusting, when you transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus Christ, that's when you can be saved. It's what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through what? By grace. Faith, or through faith, and not of yourselves, for it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that's why Paul then tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, how we respond. And he says it like this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, believe, trust, trust in what Christ did for you on the cross, And his resurrection. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Listen, God is waiting for you to respond. God has done everything there is to do for us to have eternal life, for us to know that heaven is our home when we die. There's nothing more to do except to respond by faith and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. In other words, God stands at the door of your heart and he's knocking. And the question is, will you open the door to him? Will you open your heart to him and surrender your life to him and completely trusting him and him alone? Now, there is a grave warning here when it comes to our preparation for eternity. And that warning is this, to delay all of this is dangerous. To delay is very dangerous. In fact, notice this in your notes, procrastination in this life is Satan's greatest weapon against preparing for your final destination in eternity. How many of you know for sure you will be alive tomorrow? Anyone? Anyone know for sure that they will be alive tomorrow When you wake up How many of you know how long you will live? None of us do The reality is you could die tonight In Acts chapter 24 The Apostle Paul was sharing the hope of Christ With a governor by the name of Felix And it's interesting, when he begins to share the good news of Jesus Christ with this governor who was an unbeliever, Felix became so convicted about his need for Jesus, but he resisted God. And he delayed his decision about Jesus Christ. In fact, he even tells Paul, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. We're never told If Felix ever responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. If his delay cost him. And if he is in eternity in hell. We don't know. There are no guarantees that we will live another day. And here's the lesson we learn even from Felix here. To delay is dangerous. Don't put off your decision about Jesus Christ to a quote more convenient time. Listen, today is the day of salvation, Paul says. Today is the best time to prepare for your final destination. And if God is pricking at your heart, that is the Spirit of God speaking to you through the Word of God here. And He is pricking at your heart, and you are sensing something about, man, I don't know. If I would die, I don't quite know. I don't have confidence that heaven would be my home. Man, don't delay that. Don't put that off respond here even this morning yes death is never easy to face we are all apprehensive about our appointment with death and yet when we have trusted Christ as our Savior and Lord and we know for sure that heaven is our home we can face death as a friend But facing death as our friend is not just about knowing for sure heaven is our home when we die. It is also about this third lesson that we learn from King Hezekiah. It is about living for God in this life while there's still time. This is what King Hezekiah teaches us as he faced his appointment with death. Notice how he responds to Isaiah's message of death in verses 2 and 3. This is interesting here. Look at it. It says, then he, we're talking about King Hezekiah here, then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And then Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now, I find it interesting that King Hezekiah doesn't ask God to heal him. when I was diagnosed with my stomach tumor the size of a racquetball called gist uh, which was cancerous but a very non-aggressive type cancer before I learned that believe me I was praying God heal me not necessarily wrong to pray that way Hezekiah it's interesting he has his boil he's infected and God has personally told him, you're going to die here rather soon. And yet, he doesn't ask God to heal him from this boil. Rather, he simply asks God to remember how he has lived for him in this life. Well, God heard King Hezekiah's prayer, and God did something for him that is rather miraculous. In fact, we don't even read about this anywhere else in God's Word. God, listen to this, added 15 more years to his life. And he tells him that. What an amazing display of God's grace. That is phenomenal. That is mind-boggling. But do you realize God displays the same kind of grace to you and I each day? Every one of us here woke up with this same grace poured out upon us. Each day we wake up in the morning and we wake up alive is another day of God's grace in our lives. Notice how King Hezekiah lived for God. There's two points here. Look at this. First, King Hezekiah acknowledged God as the source of his life. He acknowledged God as the source of his life. Where did King Hezekiah turn first when he heard he was going to die? He turned to God in prayer. Where do you and I turn when facing a crisis? Listen, I don't know about you, but we often turn to other things and other people first before we turn to God. And when we do then turn to God, we often turn to him in bitterness, blaming him for the crisis that we are facing. King Hezekiah could have easily done the same thing. Instead, though, he turned to God as the one who is the giver and taker of his life. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't feel anguish. We know he did. It says he wept bitterly. And when that says bitterly, it's not the idea that he's bitter towards God. It means he wept profusely. (laughs) He is saddened. he is filled with grief and sorrow and he cries out to God, you are the giver of life, you are the taker of life, and I pour out my life to you. But notice the second thing here. King Hezekiah followed God as the Lord of his life. When Hezekiah prayed, he simply asked God to remember how he had lived for him in this life. He prays to God in verse 3, I have walked before you in truth. And with a loyal heart, and have done what was good in your sight. Now, I, I have to tell you when I when I first read that and I saw, it, I'm like, that just blows me away. That one phrase or sentence there about this guy's life, what a testimony to die with. I, and I, I couldn't help but think. When I come to the point of my death, and if I'm so lucky to to have a a service of some sort and and my wife is still alive and she eulogizes about me, and she says some bad things and, and then maybe gets to the good things, I think about, could this be said of me? That Bruce walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and did what was good in your sight, Lord. What a testimony to die with. This is what the Christian life is all about. Following God as the Lord of our lives all the way to our appointed time of death. Now, step back again from this story for a moment. And just put yourself in Hezekiah's shoes. Imagine that God has sent notice that you've been gifted 15 more years of life. According to timeanddate.com, 15 years from today would be Friday, May 21st, 2032. And if that were to be your fate, what would you do with it? If you knew you had 15 more years of life, what would you do with those 15 years? How might your decisions now change if you live as if your life was not your own, but a gift from God? He's just gifted you 15 more years. Well, according to 1 Peter 1, 18-19, it says, For you know that it is not with, imperishable, with perishable things such as silver or gold that you will redeem from the empty way of life handed down to you from our ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In other words, your life was bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I wonder if you would live differently than you do now if you knew that your end would come in 15 years. Remember, Hezekiah didn't ask God for 15 more years of life. He just cried out for mercy. The reality is it isn't likely that we will receive advance notice of when our departure from this life to the next will occur. We surely could have 15 more years remaining. And some of you surely anticipate that. It could be only 15 more months remaining. And I venture to say that will be probably true for some here. We may only have 15 hours left or just 15 minutes. Only the Lord knows. These precious ticks and talks of time that we experience are undeserving gifts from God to us. And so what a great reminder here to live for God in this life that we've been given, that we've been gifted by God while there's still time. Now, in this series, we've answered six questions about life after death. But the most important question is this one. Are you ready to face death? And are you ready to stand before God when you die? Summer is almost here. They say the unofficial start of summer is Memorial Day weekend, which is next weekend. And I'm sure many of you are making plans to go on some type of trip, to go on some type of vacation, whether it's to go out of town vacation, stay vacation, whatever the case may be. Some of you have already prepared by making reservations for your lodging. Perhaps some of you have already booked air air flights. Some of you will prepare by searching online for places to eat, things to do on your vacation or trip. Others will prepare by packing a suitcase and traveling out of town to see family or friends, whatever the case may be. Most of you will do something in preparation for a temporary destination. But have you prepared for your final destination in eternity? Listen, God loves you more than we can imagine, and He wants you to spend eternity with Him. And since no one knows when they will die, now is the time to prepare for your final destination. Don't wait. Prepare now before it's too late. In just a few minutes, we are going to participate in communion, the Lord's Supper. And we're going to do so as a reminder of what God has done for us through His Son Jesus Christ so that we can have eternal life with Him. God sent His Son to overcome death so that we can face death with confidence and not fear. Jesus died on the cross and He resurrected from the grave so that we can have eternal life and know for sure Heaven is our home when we die. And so while communion the bread and the juice that we will partake of, while it is a reminder to us this morning of what Jesus did when he came the first time, his sacrifice on the cross, it is also a reminder that Jesus is coming again soon. He is coming Again, and every time we partake of communion, we are proclaiming that message as well. And so while we look back and we are grateful and we remember and we give thanks for what he did on the cross, it is also a time to look forward to what Jesus has done for us. And we are reminded that this life is coming to an end. And when he comes, he is taking us into eternity. And oh, I hope you are looking forward to that day. But in order to look forward to that day, we need to be ready for that day. Are we prepared? And until that day comes, let us live for Jesus. Oh, let us live for Him with fully surrendered lives, ready to serve Him and to fulfill His kingdom mission. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads and let's prepare our hearts. But before we pray, let me ask you again, are you ready to face death? Are you able to say in your heart, yes, I know for sure my final destination is heaven because I'm trusting in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. Perhaps you don't know for sure heaven is your final destination, but you know God is speaking to you, and you want to prepare, you want to respond, and you can do that right now. There's even a prayer in your notes to help you express your desire to trust Jesus. Jerry's going to play some music while he does. Take time to to do just that to respond to the Lord, to respond to the message here that we have heard. And as Jesus as Jerry plays, that would be our also our opportunity to stand and participate in the Lord's supper and And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, that is, you are one who has trusted Christ for your salvation and you have identified with Christ in baptism, we invite you to participate in communion. You'll find four tables located throughout the auditorium. You may stand and walk to each table and take the bread and the cup back to your seat. And of course, the bread and the juice represent the body and blood of Jesus when he died on the cross. And it reminds us of who our Lord is and what He has done for us and is doing for us and yet will do for us when He returns. And so we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. May we be ready. And until then, may we live for You. Lord, we come before You and we thank You for our time together. We thank You that You have provided a way of salvation. You have provided the gift of eternal life. And Lord, that we can face our death as a friend knowing that heaven is our home and that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. But perhaps some are not sure of that. Lord, I pray that you would prick their hearts. You would open up their minds. You would grant them faith to believe in you. Lord, I pray as we come before your table that It would be a great reminder of your sacrifice and yet another reminder that you are coming and coming soon. And we would be ready for it. And so, Lord, let this be a time of encouragement, but also a time of remembering and examining our own lives as your Christ followers. We pray these things in your name. Amen.